This is The Guardian. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, Science Weekly host Madeline here. The team are all on their Christmas holidays, so today we've picked out an episode from the archive for you. It's the second part of a conversation between Guardian Science editor Ian Sample and physicist and author Carlo Rovelli. We put out the first part of the conversation on Tuesday, so if you're keen to hear it, do go back in your podcast feed or head to theguardian.com to find it. In today's episode, Carlo Rovelli talks to Ian about his own theories to explain some of the weirdness of quantum mechanics, and they discuss what it means for how we should understand the world. We'll be back on Tuesday with a new episode. Until then... Stay safe, Happy New Year, and enjoy. Spooky action at a distance. A cat that's both dead and alive. Light that behaves as a wave, or like a particle, depending on how you measure it. Quantum physics is mind-bendingly weird. And in the century since its conception, its meaning and consequences have continued to elude both scientists and philosophers. How can two particles far apart seemingly interact with one another? How can a particle be in two locations or states at once? How should we understand it all? The mistake we're making is forgetting that we are part of reality. We ourselves are part of reality. And so every description is always a description from the inside, from a point of view, from a perspective. This is a deep lesson. When we are thinking, we're always thinking from a standpoint, not from an absolute position. And I think it's, it's good for also for the, you know, for the discussion about us. It's a, it's a teaching. I'm Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly. This is the second of two episodes in which I sit down virtually with Carlo Rovelli to chat about his book Helgoland. 
In part one, we discuss the genesis of quantum physics and the strange consequences of a theory in which objects have properties of both particles and waves, and particle locations can only be given in terms of probabilities. So if you missed that and quantum physics is new to you, I'd recommend going back before pressing play on today's episode. For those still listening, we're rejoining the conversation where we left off, that after a hundred years of working with quantum physics, no one still quite understands it. Of the many interpretations that have been put forward, most have very unsatisfying consequences, leading Carlo to develop an idea of his own. In Helgoland, you talk about the relational interpretation of quantum mechanics, and that really, for me, seemed to recast how I should look at it. Many people listening may not know about the relational interpretation. Where does that come from? And can you just lay out briefly, how does it change how we should view what we're seeing in quantum mechanics? The relational interpretation was uh, uh, introduced in the 90s, uh, and uh, it has uh, slowly gained attention by philosophers first and then by physicists later. And uh, it's one attempt to make sense of, of, of quantum mechanics. And, and this is the one I like. And the in the book, I, I, I talk about that in detail. And I talk not only about the relational interpretation, I talk also about what it would imply in general to our understanding of the world. The key point about the relational interpretation is to um, focus on the question. The, the mystery here is that it seems that the observer plays a special role, right? When, when the observer observes, uh, that's when the theory is telling us something about. And this seems to put the observer in a special position, a measurement in a special position. But the philosophical prejudice that I have is that there's nothing special about the observer. We humans are not special. We're just part of the world, right? It's not that our consciousness is outside the world observing or anything like that. So the core idea of uh, the relational interpretation is that quantum mechanics is not telling us uh, how a system like uh, an electron or an atom manifests itself to an observer, to, you know, to a scientist. Quantum mechanics is just telling how systems, physical systems, manifest themselves to any other physical system. The idea is to take away this uh, funny notion of observer, take away this funny notion of measurement apparatus that is in all quantum mechanics textbooks, uh, and replace it simply with the notion of interaction. So the idea is to rethink quantum mechanics, not as what we see if we observe, but as a theory of how systems affect one another, rather than a theory of how systems are. Reinterpret the physical variables in general, not as properties of uh, a single system, but as relational properties. This is a relation. Relational properties between two different systems. So the position of an electron is not a property of the electron itself. It's, a, it's always a position relative to something else, which makes sense when the electron and something else interact somehow. In this formulation, one does not talk about observation, one does not talk about uh, observer of measuring apparatus or anything like that, but talks about relations between physical systems. One way of putting it is as uh, go back to Niels Bohr. Niels Bohr has been 
the big grandfather of quantum mechanics, the mentor and the old wise man from whom Heisenberg learned all the problems. And has always been a reference point and a deep thinker about quantum theory. And he summarized the, the discovery of quantum mechanics in a beautiful idea, which is called contextuality, which he formulated in the following manner. He said, when we describe a physical system in physics, we cannot avoid including in the description the measuring apparatus with which the system is uh, interacting. And that's, I think, is the right idea, but wrongly formulated. We know that quantum mechanics is not just about what happened in a laboratory in Germany. It's about what happened everywhere in the universe. So we should rephrase Bohr's key observation by saying that quantum mechanics is a discovery that when you describe a system, a physical system, you cannot avoid uh, talking also of anything else which is interacting with it. Not necessarily in a measuring apparatus, but whatever other physical system is actually interacting with it. So instead of talking about observations, we talk about relations between arbitrary physical systems, which are realized when two systems interact. That's a relational perspective. And it works, but once again, it works with a price. As I said, uh, all interpretation of quantum mechanics are uh, uh, strange and ask to change our view of nature in some way. And here, the relational interpretation is asking us to think that what an object really is, uh, is the way it is interacting with everything else. What an electron really is, uh, it's hitting this, it's hitting that, it's, it's throwing us light here, throwing us light there. So instead of thinking about things, we should think about the network of relations between things, where things are just a, a node in the network of relations. If we put the interactions, the relations first, then things go in order and uh, we, we understand quantum mechanics. So that's the core of the relational interpretation. Forget observations and things about interactions between physical objects. I'm wondering if we can give the listeners some examples of how this kind of reframes how we should think of some of these pretty tricky issues in quantum physics, like the very basic double slit experiment or something more complex like entanglement. Does it get us to see those in a different way? Let me start from the, the Schrodinger cat, which is sort of the really a quintessential mystery of uh, quantum mechanics. In the usual presentation of the puzzle, of the Schrodinger cat. The problem is that uh, there's a cat closed uh, in a box. That's a Schrodinger little little parable. And there's a little quantum mechanical something happening and uh, it puts the cat in a superposition of cat alive and cat dead. In my book, I don't like talking about dying cats. So I replace that with a uh, cat sleeping and cat awake. Quantum mechanics tell us that it's a superposition of cat sleeping and cat awake. And it tells us that if we if we think that is either sleeping or awake, we make a mistake because then the prediction tells us that uh, something we're going to see later on is not what we actually could see. How does the many-world interpretation resolve that? It resolves that saying that the cat is really both sleepy and, and, and awake. And when I open the box and, and look, I myself split into a Carlo that sees the, 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 the sleeping cat and a Carlo that sees the awake cat. The relational interpretation gives a different story. And the story is that uh, properties are relative. 
cat awake or cat sleeping is not a property of the cat. It's a relative property with respect to something else. When the little mechanical things happen, quantum mechanical things happen inside the box, with respect to the cat, it's just one or the other. So the cat is either awake or asleep with respect to himself. If you are the cat, you're not in feeling any funny superposition. You're just in one or the other state. However, this does not imply that with respect to the whoever is outside the box, one or the other alternative should be taken as real and implying consequences. Because what is true with respect to the cat is not necessarily true with respect to who is outside the box. So the electron can be in one position or the other position with respect to something, but can be in neither with respect to something else. That's the relationality of um, the relational interpretation of quantum mechanics. Properties are relative. Um, I should never say truly, this sweater is red. I should say this sweater is red with respect to me. You talk in the book about this example where, say if I'm walking along on a boat, the property of my speed will be different whether I'm measuring it relative to the boat itself or to the river or to an observer on, you know, someone on the riverbank, things like that. And so all of these things can be true, but they're all different, but they're all describing the same situation. And am I right that the relational interpretation basically says that applies across the board for all properties? Yes, you're exactly right. We're used to relational quantities. And the example of velocity is, is, is a typical example. Velocity is relative. Velocity is not a property of an object. It's a property of an object relative to something else. And this is uh, what confused everybody at the time of the Copernican revolution, right? What is the velocity of the Earth? Well, zero, because it's not moving. We see it's not moving. But that's sort of a wrong point, because it's zero with respect to itself, but it's not zero with respect to, you know, the sun so the Earth has a, has, has a velocity with respect to the Sun, but the Sun is also moving. So the Earth has a velocity with respect to the galaxy, and the galaxy is also moving. And if you try to anchor that to a final reference system with respect to which velocities are absolutely defined, it just doesn't work. So we know that velocity is relational. Quantum mechanics, is, in a sense, is the discovery that all quantities are relational. You cannot avoid all the way down to the individual description of, of, of systems uh, to refer uh, quantities to something external. And it's a little bit more than that. If you try to associate non-relational quantities to objects, uh, you get into contradictions. So objects have properties only relative to other objects uh, and specifically only when they interact with other objects. You said that the philosophers got here first, so I don't mind asking you, you know, what this means for our concept of reality. And I think you say in the book that really things are only and are, are wholly their interactions, which to flip around suggests that if something doesn't interact, it doesn't exist. We used to think that uh, Physics can provide a non-relational ground to something. Well, behind everything, there are actual little particles moving that have their own properties and is not related to anything else. And I think quantum mechanics can be interpreted, discovered that this is not true. And it's sort of relations all the way down. The relational aspects of reality have been emphasized by all sorts of philosophers and, uh, in fact, people 
I go back to a famous passage of uh, Plato uh, in The Sophist, uh, in which he says to exist uh, is to have uh, sort of power to affect something else, which is exactly the point. I mean, what does it mean to exist uh, by itself is a very hard notion to pinpoint. One way to put this very naively is that imagine that there is a thing that doesn't interact at all, really doesn't interact anything around us. What does it mean that it exists? We might think that it exists, but it has no effect whatsoever. So what are we saying when we're saying it exists? If we realize that, we see that when we think about an existing things, we're actually thinking about um, how it interacts. And if we base physics on this idea, namely that to exist is to interact and to have properties is to have features that manifest themselves in an interaction, then suddenly I think quantum mechanics uh, makes sense. And that's the relational interpretation of quantum mechanics. And the key point is not to assume that there are non-relational properties. From what you write in the book, Carlo, it seems that you're saying there's no truly external point of view, that as much as we might see ourselves as detached observers of the universe, we're always looking at things from the inside. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That, I think, is the deepest message of the story. I mean, if you, if you interpret quantum mechanics in this way, the outcome and the arrival point is exactly the one you, you said, namely precisely because uh, current physics is telling us that uh, any description of the world is always from the inside, so to say, not from the outside. So, of course, we, we can put our, ourselves outside, but then we're always surprised because we are describing the interaction with us, right? If we, if we make the, the mistake of thinking that we're giving a, an objective description of what goes on, then we say, well, strange. The, the theory seems to be telling us something happens, something strange happened when we interact with a thing. The mistake we're making is forgetting that we are part of reality. We ourselves are part of reality. And so every description is always a description from the inside, from a point of view, from a perspective. This is a deep lesson, also for the, you know, for the discussion about us, it's a, it's a teaching. See, it's not the idea that each perspective, it's invisible from the others. Quantum mechanics allows the existence of complex systems like us, that actually make a picture of the external world. And I can ask you, what have you seen? And we can compare notes, so I'm not isolated from you, and I can learn something more from what I learned from you. And this becomes, I think, a useful and a beautiful metaphor of what it is culture itself, what is this our common thinking. It's a constant dialogue in which different perspectives interact to allow us a better, better understanding of reality. There is no ground point, there's nobody who had absolute truth and described the entire thing from the outside. Carlo, just to wrap up, I'd love to get your thoughts on whether you think this relational interpretation of quantum physics actually allows us to take the physics onwards and might actually allow us to either come up with new predictions we can test or even whether this interpretation itself can be tested so that we can once and for all decide, okay, this is what quantum mechanics has been trying to tell us all this time and we can finally move on with knowing we understand it correctly. Or, or what? where do you think it leaves us? I think that the problem of quantum mechanics is open in the sense that uh, we have different 
ways of making sense of quantum mechanics. The relational interpretation is one. Uh, as I said, many world is another one, and the hidden variables is another one. Among these, uh, the ones I mentioned, uh, it doesn't seem that you can make an experiment and decide, because they're just really different ways of reading the same mathematics. But physics is not just about mathematics and uh, predictions, as, as somebody says. Physics is about making sense of the world. And Feynman used to say that uh, nature, very surprisingly, often allows us uh, to interpret phenomena in different manners. He said, I think very wisely, a good scientist uh, keep the different possible interpretation of a phenomenon in mind because he doesn't know which one is going to be useful next. So... I expect that by debating, by discussing, there, there are very heated discussions in physics department and philosophy departments about the interpretation of quantum mechanics. Uh, and slowly it will come out that one perspective works better than the other one. Um, I think slowly uh, we will converge uh, toward a, a common view of quantum mechanics. Copernicus wrote his book in which, uh, you know, the Earth is spinning on itself at a crazy speed, <laughs> going around the sun. And it took a century and a half before the new interpretation of what it means to move uh, became uh, widely accepted. Uh, it, it took Kepler and his mathematics, it, it took uh, Galileo and his observations, uh, and it took Newton, finally, to make it very clear, before uh, people digested the deep change in understanding of, um, of the world that Copernicus allowed. And uh, quantum mechanics is a revolution of that sort, I think, uh, perhaps even uh, deeper. Very finally, Carlo, um, with all the thinking you've done on this and, and with writing Helgoland as well, I can't help wondering whether it's actually changed your view of the world. Yes, it has changed uh, how I view the world. This is hard to pinpoint these things because uh, I think once uh, worldview changes just because we're aging, <laughs> the decades pass. For me, a reflection about quantum physics has gone together with the general reflections of how, how to think of the world. So thinking the world in, in terms of um, a network of perspectives uh, has become slowly more dominant view in the way we communicate to one another. I've given up the idea that, uh, like, I don't think there is a unique story about the world, but there is a sort of game of mirrors of relational perspective, relative perspectives. I think I tend to view the universe of intellectual discussions in which I immersed in, in, in the same manner. It's not about uh, who has the truth. It's about uh, how we can learn from one another useful ideas uh, to better navigate in the world in which we're immersed. A huge thanks to Carlo Rovelli for joining us this week and taking us deep into the weird world of quantum physics. His book Helgoland is out in English next Thursday, the 25th of March. We put a link to it on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, 
What if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.